Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Good morning. Hi, my name is Libby Gillen, and I am the VP of Strategy for A&D with Tarquette. We're happy you're here. Um, today we have a presentation on creating destination worth commuting for by Hannah Nardini. And Hannah Nardini has uh, the founder of WK Spaces and has over 20 years of experience as a designer and as a workplace strategist. Her passion in developing a deep understanding for the workplace, the workers, their managers, leadership teams, has, and she has carried out some pretty impressive research programs throughout the pandemic, tackling all these different changes and wants across the globe. Today, she's going to share her latest US data of office workers, and these were literally gathered um, this month, or last month. And this is the insight from Tarket North America and Coronet Global over the last couple years. So I'm happy to have you here and enjoy the presentation. Well, thank you for taking the time to attend this presentation. We're going to be looking at how the world of work and workplace is changing. Now, the content of this presentation is from multiple sources. And we've referenced these where it's applicable at the bottom of the slide, but it's also from our own extensive independent research and work that we've done with nearly 200 clients over the past two years alone. And just to give some context to the research that we've been conducting, um, as of today, we have over 2 million responses to our surveys. And these have been conducted through multiple paid, uh, paid platforms and from our own client work. And we started to track the sentiment initially within the UK, um, and then we started to broaden this out to the global workforce. And we've been doing this since March 2020, and we continue to regularly do this. Now, the information that we're going to talk about today is very much centred on the US. So whilst it has applicability in many global locations, we do appreciate that there are lots of cultural differences and developmental differences that we do need to perhaps take into account. So let's make a start. Let's just take a step back first and look at how the workplace has shifted over the past century. There's a fantastic book called The Nowhere Office written by Julia Hobsbawm. And in this book, she breaks down four phases of work that really just define how the office has evolved. The first phase that she talks about is called the optimism years. And it's all about that post-war time. There's a lot of economic prosperity. It was seen as rising from the ashes. Tech had started to arrive on the scene. We'd seen massive growth in offices and particularly skyscrapers. Uh, but we also saw there's a lot of inequality. Um, women tended to play the supporting role to the men. Fast track this to phase two. This takes us from 1978 all the way to around 2006. It's called the mezzanine years. And this is when the love affair with the office really started to end. It was less glamorous than it was before. We'd seen the birth of the internet. Technology was starting to permeate into all aspects of our lives. We saw the economy crash. There was a lot of uncertainty. We also saw the Enron trial of 2006, which is the biggest scandal of the century. Now, in the 80s to 90s, people started to question flexibility. 
In fact, we saw the phrase coined work-life balance. And we also saw a rise in social media, in particular Facebook and Twitter had started to emerge. That moves us into phase three, which is when we saw much more digital acceleration. So smartphones, laptops, um, it was be the beginning of the end for the traditional office. We saw the rise of WeWork in 2010. Employees suddenly become known as talent. Google, Google had raised the bar on office design and the employee experience. But we also started to, at this point, learn the downside of technology. There was a book by Sherry Turtle in 2011, and she described technology as being alone together. People who would text rather than talk. Now, in 2016, the World Economic Forum stated that we were starting the fourth industrial revolution, which predicted the need to have a lot more realignment between the relationships that people have with technology. And now we find ourselves thrust into a brand new phase of reinvention. This is the post-pandemic world. Now we are experiencing multiple shifts simultaneously. High on the discussion agenda is sustainability, inequality, culture, generational working, working patterns, management styles, well-being and technology. The workplace snow globe has been shaken and it is still in motion. And we simply do not know how long it is gonna to take to settle or when it's gonna settle. And that does make predictions pretty much impossible. But what we're gonna talk about in this presentation is trends that we are seeing emerge amongst our clients, but within our research. We're also gonna consider really how the world might have changed even further by the years 2025 through to 2030. Now we're no longer constrained by place and time. We've always had the capacity though to do this well before the pandemic. The technology was already in place, but the culture and the accepted norms that we lived by were not. There was a long held stigma and a correlation that if you're working anywhere other than the office, you're lazy, you're slacking, you're not being a team player like our office counterparts. Women and those with caring responsibilities were the most negatively impacted by this attitude. So the last two years has taught us a lot. There are some great examples of companies who are leading the way on flexibility. So for example, we've got work anywhere. People like Airbnb, Microsoft, Coinbase, Deloitte, Dropbox, Shopify, and Slack. We've seen the emergence of hybrid working. So people like Adobe, Apple, Capital One, Ericsson, Ernst & Young, Google, HSBC, KPMG. There's a, there's a number of different organizations looking at hybrid. But we've also started to see some business leaders building the business case for the return to the office and maybe not understanding why their people are rebelling so vehemently to this. Let's not forget we saw David Solomon at Goldman Sachs call working from home an aberration. So James Gorman at Morgan Stanley tell staff that they could not be paid New York rates to live in Colorado. He said, if you go to a restaurant in New York, you can come into the office. Now, to be fair, this was very quickly retracted with a quote of, I was wrong on this. And then we've also seen Jeff Bezos, who's told people to return full time before doing a full U-turn more towards a hybrid approach. So we are seeing lots of contrasting views. So maybe we also need to look at this from these different perspectives. Now, employees do see things differently. They loved and they still do not having to do that commute. But what they've done is absorb this time into their workday. The workday has now become so extended, the time in front of a screen has two. 
And it now means that our doing time has been pushed into our personal time. There are some junior colleagues and new starters in particular who are just not in a learning environment. So they're not getting that overhearing or just simply being in the presence of really experienced people. It did count for so much. They are missing out on this development. But people generally have reported that they feel exhausted, they're tired, they're burnt out. Younger generations in particular have noted significant declines in their mental health and the feelings of isolation, particularly amongst those who live alone. So these are significant negatives. But despite these challenges, it's not changed their minds on wanting to work in a flexible way. The negatives have not outweighed the positives enough. If you were to ask people, many would say, I don't want to work from home every day. I'd probably like to have a balanced approach, the best of both worlds. So how do employers see it? Without a doubt, they can sometimes see a bigger picture. So this is how they reported. They noted in particular communication, not within the team, but with other teams within the organisation has lessened. They feel that it takes longer to pick up mistakes. The quality is maybe becoming a little bit more compromised. They too notice professional development, maybe a concern that they're not going to be able to promote from within, within a few years time. They also note that relationships have become a little fractious. So somehow we've seen email become a form of instant communication. People get incredibly frustrated when they know that someone is sat in front of their computer and they're not responding to a schedule that they themselves have set. This is starting to create maybe a little bit of conflict within teams. And then finally, it's been reported that client relationships have changed. Now, in particular, if your relationship existed pre-pandemic, the feeling is actually switching that into a virtual mechanism has been actually better. It's in some instances improved the relationship. But for relationships that have been forged over the past two years in a fully virtual way, the general view is the bond, the sense of loyalty has not been created in quite the same way. The view is that the relationships have changed. Naturally, this is a cause for concern for employers. So we can understand that there are two opposing views to how this might play out. So what might hybrid working look like in future? Well, we've been checking this. Um, this is based upon employee perceptions. So yes, we have given you all of the data here for global, but let's just have a look more specifically at the United States and what's happening there. So you can see, if we look at this in quarters, it hasn't strayed too far from where it started. We're likely to see actually in reality, average occupation sitting around 36% in the office on a daily basis. And that would be if employees were given their complete free reign to have choice over how they wanted to work. So what about employers? Do they see this differently? Sure enough, yes, they do. We see their expectation is around 65% occupation in the office each day. In reality, this is a return to pre-COVID levels if they were to have their own way. So we have a battle of wills. How is this really gonna be playing out? Well, I'm sure we've all heard about this phrase, the great resignation. So we've asked people about this. What do employees tell us? 49% have said that they will consider resigning if they're not offered the option of flexibility in how they're working. 
In fact, 28% have said that they're considering this job change within the next 12 months and 35% report being open-minded to see what the next 12 months brings. And when we push that even further, 47% have said that they've already actually started looking for other jobs. Now, we are at a crisis point. We're starting to see that the meeting point between employer and employee is hybrid. Typically, amongst our clients, we're seeing two or three days in the office each week is the go-to approach. Now, this means that many organizations and individuals are having to work out what tasks are best done where. And as expected, we see concentrated individual focus work being conducted at home for many. So that begs the question, what is the role of the office now? At the moment, they're probably mostly full of desks. Now, Kevin Ellis from PwC described the office in a fantastic way. He said it was like a, a bird song. There's this unique way that people communicate with each other, and it's not easily replicated in a digital world. Now, the office is going to be a place where people go for collaboration, for innovation, creativity, osmotic learning, for networking, socializing and reading and responding to the emotions. It's different to do that in person. But we are expecting to see digital communication software market increase significantly over the next 10 years. The thing that's been lacking in is the ability to mimic the interactions that happen by people working alongside each other. Now, we're not there yet, which is why for now, the office is still essential. But what we do with them, how we use them, and the frequency of use is changing, and we need to evolve the workplace to reflect this. Now, Ben Page at Ipsos Mora explained it this way. We still need offices. We just don't need them for work. Now, all of us here will recognize the need for change, but how far do we take that? Now, as we discuss, this snow globe of the workplace hasn't settled yet. So do we just wait and see, or do we make those bold steps now? We've asked people this question in our latest survey. In fact, 65% feel that now is the time to be bold, make that adventurous step and reinvent or revolutionize the office. In fact, only 16% reported that it's maybe too early to tell. But what we do know is the workplace will continue to change. So our next steps are experimental to some extent and something that we need to constantly be learning from and adapting to. So flexibility is going to be important in every aspect. So where do we even start? It's all about understanding the employee experience. Now, your workforce can tell you so much. They can tell you what a customer is thinking, what they're doing, what they're buying. They can tell you the best way to drive sales, the fastest way to execute tasks, the most effective way to mobilize on promotions and on programs. They're a wealth of incredibly vital knowledge, but only if you ask them. So there's a report from The Nudge, and it showed that 68% of workers said that they have opinions on how to make their organization better and more profitable. But nearly 40% of them don't feel heard. And that is despite 78% of leaders believing that they have a culture of feedback. Now, again, we're at odds. So let's start to think about what the immediate response to the return of the office has been. What have we observed so far? 
Well, from our own experience of working with clients, we've seen a 28% average space rationalization. But in the past two months, we are now seeing bolder moves towards 40 or 50% space reduction. Hybrid working has become formalized and we're now in trial mode. So we're starting to work through the review stages right now to understand the impact of this a lot better, but it's still very much work in progress. There's a lot more emphasis has been placed around wellness. So for example, barista bars, social events, yoga classes, free breakfast on a Monday, free lunch on a Friday. We're seeing pop-up food stalls in offices to support local communities. There's a lot more thought coming through on wellness and well-being in the workplace. But sometimes we do note that it is sometimes missing that fundamental principle of human need. And it risks becoming a little bit of a gimmick that people adapt to and they tire of rather quickly. We've also seen activity-based working increase in its popularity. Now, despite us as a business, we've been banging that drum for the past 15 years, particularly around using space more effectively and efficiently about desk sharing. But the, the penny has finally dropped for many businesses who are now using this as an approach to deliver on the space rationalization programs that they've committed to. The risk has now been eliminated. Now, the working system of activity-based working still holds a lot of value and relevance in the post-pandemic world. But let's look just a little bit further than the immediate next few months and years. What might the world look like in 2030? We don't really know, but there are some pretty decent think tanks out there who have predicted what they think it might look like. So this is some insights from the Future Agenda. Um, they are an open source think tank and an advisory firm, and their predictions for 2030 look something like this. So they predict that people are going to be staying in the workplace longer. In fact, they're going to be living longer. The older generations do not want to retire necessarily, and they're looking for ways to stay connected, to be productive and continue being engaged. In fact, there are some who just simply cannot afford to retire. There's recognition in the benefits of employing older workers. So although memory and processing speed can become impaired by age, your judgment pattern recognition and decision-making actually improve with age. And these skills are still essential to almost all organizations. We've got younger generations in the workplace right now. They've come from very culturally diverse backgrounds and they're gonna expect that from their workplace too. We see more immigration shifts. So countries are set to become much more diverse with integration of different cultures, different religions and different languages. We're likely to see inequality increase. So there'll be bigger gaps in health, wealth, education, and between racial groups. Even internet connectivity in some low income areas is expected to be progressing at much slower rates. We're likely to see though investment in more local communities. It's likely to drive a higher demand for geographically dispersed workplaces or hubs. We might see more leisure amenities or local retailers. With discouragement to travel without purpose, we might start to see less commuting traffic, less traffic into cities, or maybe less push towards that large corporate headquarters. Instead, the workplace might find itself competing with coffee shops, shared office accommodation at more of a regional level. 
that offer amenities that are missed. So they give people that change of scenery. They can walk or cycle to work. Maybe it's something that reduces their commute time and gives them a better work-life balance. We also see working towards net zero plans in most countries by 2050. Now, the US should be well along on its journey by 2030, we would hope. Um, we should see a lot of established practices at individual and at a business level that will be starting to make a difference. However, how much of the US office stock is going to need to be improved by 2030 to start meeting the minimum standards that have been set to achieve net zero? There is a prediction that landlords might consider whether occupiers pay a green premium for occupying more sustainable office spaces. Now, this is going to have a direct impact on real estate decisions, uh, particularly around space requirements, but also around the location of some of these offices. So all in all, there may be some challenges ahead, but there are things that businesses can be doing now to help prepare and mitigate some of these challenges. So we're going to look at just some of these key areas. That's around generations, diversity and inclusion, sustainability, and technology. So let's make a start. Let's turn our attention first to your worker profiles. And let's understand how they might be changing, but also what they're expecting from the workplace. Now, right now, you have these generational groups working side by side in the workplace. Now, we'll just say age ranges are somewhat hazy. So take that with a pinch of salt. But let's think to 2030 and what might happen. Instead of seeing the boomer generation exit the workplace in the next 10 years, we're likely to see them staying just that little bit longer. And we have a new kid on the block, the alphas. And now they are currently in school. The oldest currently around 11 years of age. So these generational groups are going to want very different things. So let's have a look at that. What are the expectations and needs of these generations? So we look at the boomers. The boomers have told us a lot of instances they've missed their commute. They liked having that separation between work and their personal life. They've generally come from a place of boundaries and they feel that the past two years has maybe infringed on that a little bit. They're much more into that in-person experience, actually just getting up and having that conversation with people, likely to want access to meeting spaces where these face-to-face -face interactions can happen. But with an aging workforce, we need to think about accessibility. You don't want to be crawling around the floor to access power modules. We do need to think about integration of wellness programs. So let's tap into all of their knowledge that they've accumulated over the years and pass this on. This is about knowledge sharing. But we've also noted in our research over the past two years, they've also become very acutely aware of the impact on the environment. So sustainability is becoming high on the agenda for the boomer generation. We then have Generation X, often called the latched or key kids or the lost generation. They were incredibly independent. We saw high rates of divorce as a child, both parents in the workplace. These are the generation that tended to let themselves in from school and look after themselves. They've entered the workplace with the same mindset, incredibly self-motivated. Probably a lot of work-life balance is needed, probably a lot of family responsibilities. They are looking for flexibility. But when they are in the office, they need to optimize the time that they are there to get the absolute best out of it. So they're likely to be more focused on productivity, making sure that they can just work smarter. And technology is a means of enabling that. 
we have the millennials or also known as Gen Y who are looking for a lot more flexibility. So hybrid is high on their agenda. For some though, they might not have the right environment to be working from home effectively. So we are likely to see maybe a transition of more of them returning back into the workplace. But they're looking for clear progression. They want to understand how they're going to progress their careers. Diversity and inclusion has now started to take priority. For them, they're probably going to have multiple skill sets. They might want to upskill, move roles within the organisation. Perhaps a bit more emphasis around mental health. It's noted that this is the generational group that we've seen the most decline in. Sustainability has been pushed much higher onto the agenda, and it's all about being equitable and fair. You now start to look at Gen Z, or Gen Z, as you might say, um, a smaller part of the workplace. In fact, it might only represent around 2% of your current organisation. Very different experience. It's actually a generation that we've noticed has split in the past two years. What was originally predicted to be a return to the boomer mentality, job for life, we're likely to see actually a sense of disillusionment amongst Generation Z. They're likely to want to be more self-employed, more consultative. They might have multiple talents. They might have different careers running simultaneously. But we are likely to see the impact of in-person collaboration. We know that it's a an generation of FaceTime or videos. It's about more of that face-to-face -face interactions with others. That's generally how they learn. A sense of networking. How do I get where I want to be by moving in the right circles? So personal development is going to be a significant part to this. And again, high on the agenda, sustainability. But we see things like gyms, studio spaces, catered restaurants, particularly high on the agenda for this generation. And then finally, the alphas. Now, it's very early to predict. But if we just think about it, the expectation is they're going to be the most educated of generations that has ever existed. They might be late, therefore, to the workplace. But by the time they do join, they will be interviewing you as to why they should come and work for you. So ethics and a sense of purpose. So the CSR is going to be particularly important with this group. It's predicted that they're going to be so powerful, they're going to change the world. But everything is about instantaneous connection. They're going to want information far quicker. It's about a customized experience. So the ability to personalize their experience when they are in the workplace. And again, sustainability, high on the agenda. So the expectations are completely different. And as an employer, you need to start thinking more specifically around these different generations. What we don't want to see is the great resignation appearing more dominant in one generation than others. So we do need to think about the practicalities of what they need out of the workplace and make sure that we design that into their experience. Let's have a look at diversity and inclusion. So unfortunately, the pandemic may have imposed a serious setback for DNI efforts, particularly with women and racialized communities being disproportionately impacted. We're starting to see the longer term consequences as many women who often face the dual burden of juggling work and also caregiving duties are choosing not to return to work. Now, a recent work lab study found that since the pandemic began, self-reported job satisfaction amongst women is 27% lower than for men in similar circumstances. And women are twice as likely as men to consider leaving their employer within the next 12 months. Now, many businesses are going to say, well, we have a DNI statement in place. But are you really joining the dots between the policy, the people and the place? 
Now it's estimated that only around 10% of workplaces are meeting this need. But universal design has been around for decades, but not many workplaces are truly meeting this. So let's just look at what the basics in today's world might mean. Sanitizing stations, I think they're here to stay. Wider walkways, reducing desk clusters so that it doesn't become so claustrophobic, putting more control over levels of occupation, measuring air quality. It's about ramps, multi-faith rooms, particularly with more of a diverse workforce, gender neutral washrooms, nursing parent spaces, spaces designed for those who have neurodiversity needs. So in particular, spatial awareness, the use of color and the use of texture. But it's about building it into your cultural narrative. So it just becomes an accepted norm. It's how you do things around here, but also education, particularly for managers on unconscious bias. Now, research has shown that there are many benefits to having a much more diverse and inclusive workplace. In fact, if you look at great places to work, they say that you're likely to experience higher revenue growth, greater readiness to innovate, increased ability to recruit a diverse talent pool, and 5.4 times likely to have higher employee retention. So inclusion in the workplace is one of the most important keys to retention and something that you cannot afford to overlook. How about sustainability? So lights, heating, cooling, computers, printers, photocopiers, business travel, even the commuting. These are all ways that the office, even if it is small, contributes to global climate change. Now, offices account for a surprisingly large part of climate change problems. There are a thousand junior employees who were questioned and more than half of them, in fact, 57% said that they didn't believe their employees were doing enough when it came to cutting their carbon footprint at work. In fact, even when these targets do exist, 74% of them said they had no idea what their organization's reduction targets were. Now, we've been asking people about their views on the environmental impact over the past two years. And interestingly, we've seen it rise as an issue of importance, particularly amongst the oldest of generations and amongst the youngest of the generations. What started off as just 21% in May 2020 has increased to 77% today. They say that sustainable design should be a priority in the design of the office and how we work. Now, this is only set to stay top of the agendas. So what can you start to do about this? Well, there's a lot you can do, and there's a lot that individuals must do. We all need to play our part. So where possible and where it exists using public transport, it's noted that that emits about a sixth of the emissions of a car journey. Installing electric vehicle points in offices or e-bike or e-scooter charging points. Creating cycle or run to work initiatives if that's possible. If you're going to do that, you need to design in showers and locker rooms. Encouraging people to work from home more. Now, even one day per week globally takes into account all of the increase of household electricity increasing, we'll see a decline in 24 million tonnes of carbon dioxide annually. Now that is equivalent, if we look at that in city terms, to Greater London, all of the emissions from Greater London within a year. Use technology, use it as a means to monitor and reduce your energy consumption. Turn equipment off 
have lights that are on sensors. Make sure you're cleaning equipment more frequently because poorly maintained equipment does consume more energy. Replace any equipment that has come to the end of its life with more energy efficient ones, particularly at the right time. Make sure that you're building offices that are low carbon. They're recycled or they're recyclable. Make sure that there's healthy food and snack options. Educate people. Provide refillable water bottles or stop smoking programs. Motivate people to use stairs rather than the elevators. Encourage people to recycle more. Maybe put in place procurement plans from procuring from other businesses that follow the same green principles as yourselves. Think about offices that have opening windows, natural ventilation, greenery in the office. In fact, we've seen some offices install beehives in outdoor spaces or roof terraces and hydroponic gardens in offices. Now, a sustainable and healthier workplace results in a more stress-free and a happier workforce, which consequently we know increases employee wellness and their productivity. So you do need to invest in creating a sustainable work environment and it should be classified as one that will profit the organization more in the long term. So the successful companies are already forward thinking and future businesses will be those that actually prioritize workplace sustainability. So finally, how about technology? Well, can you imagine a world where you can send your AI enabled digital twin to a meeting because you are feeling under pressure that day? The metaverse is upon us. It is a network of 3D virtual worlds, and it's a place where people can interact. They can do business. They can find networking and social connections through virtual avatars. It is possible today to build your virtual workplace already, but the technology is set to dramatically develop. Holographic displays from computer images are already under development, and this will mean that there is no need for headsets. Meta are working on haptic gloves that are going to allow users to interact with 3D virtual objects and experience sensations like movement, texture, and pressure. The metaverse is a place where you'll be able to make friends, have pets, buy virtual fashion, real estate, and even attend events like concerts. Now, this is set to reshape the world of work in four ways. The way that teams collaborate, we're going to see the emergence of a new digital AI-enabled colleague that doesn't exist in real life, the acceleration of learning and skills acquisition, the ability to do things in real time, and the rise of the metaverse economy, which is going to create new enterprises and new roles. It's promoted as having the ability to remove isolation and workforce disconnection that we've seen result and be one of those key challenges to hybrid working. It's going to recreate that real-time spontaneous collaboration that happened around the copier or the kettle. It's spaces that will support well-being. So imagine you will be able to retreat off to a forest or an aquarium. You'll be able to visit the moon or meditate and take an exercise class. It's all about mixed media. And the metaverse will deliver into the real world. So we'll see training with simulations and realistic gameplay testing. Now, Bill Gates has predicted that people will be in meetings in the metaverse by 2025. So are you sat there thinking this is probably going to fall flat? Maybe it's not as big as we think. Well, let's just mention this. Two real estate transactions have already been 
taking place for $5 million for virtual land. And there are brands already moving into it. For example, Nike, Google, Autodesk, Gucci, Microsoft, Disney, Warner Brothers, Coca-Cola, Louis Vuitton, Selfridges. Like it or not, it is coming. But in other news, we're also seeing the demise of the smartphone on radar, replaced with more wearable tech and more ambient interfaces. So big changes. So the metaverse might not be the demise of the physical office just yet, but be aware, it is predicted that that might be the case by 2040. Now, we expect rigid policies associated with hybrid working likely to be replaced with informal agreements that are built around trust and autonomy. They might allow people to work where they are best placed. This might be in the office. It might be at home. It might be on the beach. The global experiment over the past two years has proved it can work. Employees want it. Employers need to work with it and find a compromise. Robots and AI might become part of office life and they might simplify tasks. Now, McKinsey's have estimated that up to 400 million workers globally might be supplanted by 2030 through automation from drivers to the driverless cars to pilots to PAs to radiographers. But there are some human skills that cannot be replaced so easily. Emotions, empathy, our ability to adapt, these are going to be things that will flourish. So will it replace the need for people? We don't know for sure. But if we look at history where we've gone through these revolutions, it tends to create more job opportunities, but in very different capacities. Tech is likely to become a more immersive experience. So regardless of where we're geographically located, it will start to constantly measure and report to people so that they can make real-time decisions. We might be tapping into IoT sensors. On the times when people do visit the office, the electric driverless car with its five or by then 6G enablement will allow people to dial into their virtual meeting when they're on the move. The commute is still going to remain a part of your work day, but we can optimize the use of our time with it. We might see less demand for offices and more demand for city residential accommodation for growing populations. This means that we might see office stock start to decline. Landlords may start to charge a premium, as we mentioned, for these refurbished spaces that are all built around sustainability. So the need for the status symbol of that large corporate office might change in favor of smaller connected hubs in regional centers to reduce commute times, to reduce carbon emissions and eliminate time wastage. Now the office is gonna to need to work harder. They're gonna to need to be ever evolving. Um, we're gonna be gathering data and informing decisions to adapt that space. So it's likely to have less fixed permanent structures in favor of more flexible furniture solutions that can easily be reconfigured at a low cost and without landfill or wastage. So finally, what does the office need to do to deliver an outstanding employee experience? Well, we've mentioned the purpose of the office is different. People are going to travel to something that allows them to have a sense of belonging with like-minded people. So what might that be designed like? The private members club. Now, not the old school image of white balding men in smoking jackets and wood paneled walls. Um, a private members club is home from home. It's a base where you feel comfortable and welcome. It's exclusive. 
Attending this space makes you feel special. It is a niche, high quality, it gives you just that perfect sense of community. Maybe it's an extension of your lifestyle. It's full of nooks for conversations. It's a place where people know your name. It's made up of multiple spaces, but no longer are you likely to see this endless row of desks. You may plan your days to ensure that your time in the office is spent around other people. It's meeting with them, it's networking, it's socializing. So what spaces might you expect to see? Let's look at some examples. Probably very familiar with Soho House. There's a number of different images we use in there. But large tables that allow you to sit with your laptop for periods of time. But we don't see that being your main reason to be there. So not set up like that traditional office, but with a lot more customization. So think things like task lighting, but not permanent structures. So the ability to flex this space into other functions which is not possible with traditional desk configurations. Now, it's not like you're going to spend all day in this area. There'll be touchdown points when you're needing them. But ergonomics, you'll note, is still important and they cannot be neglected. So we do need to think of the importance of that in the office spaces. We might see dining rooms, the orangery, lounge areas. Maybe it's reading rooms or the library where you can just tuck yourself away and do work in private or concentrate. And finally, the fitness studio, the spa, maybe it has treatment rooms within it, the pop-up salons or beauticians. Of course, there's meeting rooms, but maybe even screening rooms that can be held for events. So everything about a private members club is about experience. So why can the office not be built around this concept? And so finally, how do you make change happen? How do we work towards these things? Well, I'm sure there are many of my fellow industry peers in the audience. So those who innovate must ensure that productivity, purpose, culture and community are at the heart of the new reinvented workplace. The spaces and products that exist right now need to evolve to meet the changing world of work. You need to listen to people. You need to build tailored and customized experiences for everybody. You need to create spaces where technology is not acceptable. So think about an environment like the dining room or the orangery, where it's just socially wrong to produce your phone when you're there engaging or socializing with other people. So think about giving people that break and distance away from technology too, healthy boundaries. Think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So get the basic human needs right first to support effective well-being. And finally, think green design products and spaces that work towards the agenda of net zero. Thank you very much for your time and listening to this presentation. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.